I want you to imagine for just a moment that you are at an amusement park, you are in a line for a roller coaster, and you look over a couple lines, and you see the most peculiar thing. You see a, a couple there waiting to get on this roller coaster, but they look a little out of place. The gentleman has a three-piece suit on that looks very, very expensive. Shoes, polish, looks really fancy, cuff links on, and <laughs> just looks a bit odd. The woman with him, wife, girlfriend, date of some kind, has a really poofy, fancy dress on. And it just looks a bit strange. Well, next thing you know, the roller coaster comes and they get on and after a moment of trying to figure out how to get the buckle on over the poofy dress they get on and go off on the ride they come back and it just seems like they're there for a fun day at the park in fact as the day goes on you see them two three four more times in a couple more roller coaster lines and and getting some food and it just seems like they're there to have a good time it would be a little strange or imagine you're at the grocery store and you turn down the pizza aisle and you see someone there standing, I don't know, maybe dressed a little bit like this with a bulletproof vest on and helmet and tactical gear on and, and you're probably likely to do one of a couple things. You might turn around and run not knowing what's going on. Or some of you don't lie. Some of you are going to like hide between the end cap that's holding all the yogurt, thinking that if something goes on, you want to see what it is. Like the yogurt could protect you somehow, right? But some of you would do it. Don't lie. Sometimes things just seem a bit odd. And whether we run away, whether we stick around to look, we want explanations. We want to understand what's going on. So open up your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. For the last few weeks, we've been in the book of Ephesians, and we've been looking at how Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. And the first three chapters here, he really lays a solid foundation of faith. Who Jesus is, what he came to do, our state in, in, in him, in the world before him, what he did in us and through us. And, and he real, lays a really solid, amazing foundation of really deep, rich theology and doctrine in those first three chapters. And then in chapter four, he turns a corner into the, the so what? So what? What, what's this all mean? He says, so to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. In chapter four, he really highlights what, what the calling is, what we've been called to. In chapter 5, he highlights the idea of walking in love. We're to walk according to our calling. This is what our calling is. Now, here's the manner of which you're, you should walk. As we talked about last week, we should ignore, for the most part, the chapter divisions, the verse divisions, even the section headings, because they weren't part of Paul's original letter. They sometimes divide sections that, that should go together. And what we saw is really the whole second part of this book, of this, this letter that Paul wrote, is expanding upon this idea back in chapter 4 of what it means to walk in accordance to the calling of which you've been called. So we have to understand the calling, chapter 4. We have to understand the walking that he really laid out in in chapter 5 in the beginning of chapter 6. But this section that we're going to look at today, starting in chapter 6, verse 10, seems maybe like a, a new section, 
But it's still encompassed in this, this idea of what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul starts this section in, in verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. See, the reality is that we are weak. Even the strongest people in this world are weak because as Paul explains, we are fighting a battle against an enemy that we cannot see, who does not fight fair, who does not fight in terms that we can actually fight with. His name is Satan. And so for this reason, verse 13, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. And so what Paul does from here is because of this battle that we are in, he encourages the church in Ephesus and us today to to stand ready. To stand ready in this battle that we are in. And he lays out six different ways for us to, to defend ourselves, to stand ready. And he uses something that his audience would have been very familiar with in his day uh, of the, the Roman army and their battle gear. And it might be pretty similar to some of this equipment that we might know of from law enforcement SWAT. You know, if you watch the TV shows and see things on TV, then you've seen this kind of stuff. And there are some parallels. And so we're just going to walk through these real quick and see what parallel Paul brings out in each one to our spiritual life. And how we can stand against Satan and his schemes. The first one that Paul mentions, verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 6, says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Now, under the armor that Roman army would have wore, under armor today, you still wear clothes. And it can get really uncomfortable if those clothes are not kept together, if they get bunched up somewhere. I mean, you, you understand if clothes underneath clothes and if you're wearing a hoodie, your shirt gets bunched up. Like, it's uncomfortable. And so they wore a belt to keep it all tight and together. All the gear that law enforcement today, right, it's a central piece to make sure everything stays where it's supposed to stay. Is a belt. And then in a similar way, in our faith, in our relationship with Christ, we must put on this belt of truth. The truth of the gospel, the truth of who we are, that we are created in the image of God, the truth that we sinned, we missed the mark that God set for us, the truth that we can't fix it on our own, that God sent his son into this world to die in our place, right? We, we have to remind ourselves of the truth that we find in his word. Do you realize that the first attack Satan made to anyone in this world that we read about in the book of Genesis is questioning the truth? Adam and Eve were in the garden in the beginning of Genesis, and God said, you can eat from any of the trees in the garden except one. Do not eat from this tree. Satan comes along, and he puts a question mark where God put a period. Did, did God really say that you can't eat from this tree? And then listed reasons why, well, God didn't really mean that. He just doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to know the difference between good and evil. And if you do eat from the tree, then you'll, you'll be like God. And Satan does the same thing today. He comes in and he puts a question mark where God put a period. Do you really think God intended for you to forgive that person? Do you think God understands how deep that hurt what they did to you? You think God forgives everything? You think what you did is forgivable? 
And where God puts a period, Satan puts a, a question mark. God says the tithe, 10%. Well, I, I got an idea. What, what if we just keep a little bit back and we put it in investment accounts? And then when it grows, we can be really generous down the road later. And he comes up with all kinds of reasons to put a question mark where God put a period. And he questions the truth that God lays out in his word. So we must make sure that we know the truth, that we are in the truth. We are rooting ourselves in the truth of what God's word says. Second thing Paul mentions in the second part of verse 14, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, I can imagine, I've not been there, but I can imagine it would hurt to have a sword go through your arm or to be shot in the arm. That would hurt. That might be an understatement. But at least from what I see in TV, it's not going to kill you. Maybe eventually if you don't get proper care. But when you get shot in the core here, in your center, through the heart, through a lung, and the organs, right? it hurts. And it's, it's not going to end too terribly well. And in our spiritual life, the heart is the most vital organ. Jesus said to his disciples and others listening that, it's not what goes into a person that defiles them, but what comes out from them, right? It's not what you eat. Kids eat dirt. Dirt don't hurt, right? Dirt is fine, but it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. It's what we say. It's what we do that starts in the heart. And so it's really a matter of the heart. We have to guard our heart. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So we have to put on the breastplate of righteousness to guard our heart. Make sure that we are doing the right thing as far as the word of the Lord is concerned as we are pursuing him in our spiritual life. We have to do the right thing. Righteousness, even even in the little things when no one's looking, these are things like character and integrity. Now, again, I've not been shot. But from what I see in the movies, it would really hurt. Please nobody try this. If I got shot right now wearing this bulletproof vest, but it's not going to kill me. It's going to knock me down. It's going to leave me with one heck of a bruise, but I'm most likely going to survive that. And just because we put on the breastplate of righteousness does not mean people might not make false accusations and false statements about us, but it's not going to take us down. If we are pursuing righteousness, if we have maintained our character and our integrity, then eventually the truth will come out and we can stand tall before God that we did not compromise, that we did not fall in a moment of weakness. And whatever this attack is might knock us down. It might hurt, but it's not going to take us out because we've put on the breastplate of, of righteousness. The second, the, the next one that, that Paul mentioned here in verse 15 I love this one. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, if you're on your feet all day, you know how important shoes are. They need to be comfortable. They need to support you, right? They, you need to have good shoes to be on your feet all day. If you are in the military or law enforcement, you need boots that come up and protect your ankle so you don't roll your ankle, right? Shoes are incredibly important. We might overlook them in defensive wear that we might put on today. But it's fascinating to me how Paul describes the shoes that we are to wear, the readiness with the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. As he's describing this military 
defensive armor to wear. We think of war. We think of fighting. We think of battle, but not peace. But isn't that not what the gospel came to do, to bring peace, to bring hope? Paul picks up and and has it very similar, quoting from one of the prophets in uh, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This good news that Christ came into this world. He brought peace. He brings hope of what he did on the cross for us. This is the good news that we are to take. Not preachers. This this is not talking about preachers as the job today that, that I have preaching the word. But you proclaiming, preaching this good news to your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends. People who need to hear this message of peace. The next one that Paul mentions in verse 16 says, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I could not get a shield. I tried hard, but I could not get a shield for today. But you've seen them, the big metal shields that they hold in front of them as they storm in somewhere to, to, to protect, to guard themselves from whatever might come their way. Right? We are to take up a shield of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a great definition of faith. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for being convinced of what we do not see. I would love for all the questions that I've received about God and faith to open up something and say, here's the proof. Here, here's where, I, where, it's, where it's shown, where, where I can defend it. There are some great books written on apologetics and great books written to defend the faith. But at the end of the day, there are just some things where we just take faith in what we hope for of things that we cannot see. At the end of the day, there, there sometimes aren't answers. And Satan will shoot some of the nastiest fiery arrows our way. I don't know. I don't know why children die. I don't know why people who are good people who love the Lord get cancer. I don't know why there is so much evil and hurt and pain in this world. I wish I had some good answers. Oh, I do. Some of the most godly people I know who are a bit older and have went through it like most of us never have. I ask how they, how they made it through and all they have is they just never gave up faith. But sometimes all we can do is we can put that shield in front of us and regardless of what happens, sometimes all we got is, God, I know you, I trust you, I love you. God, I know you, I trust you, I love you. God, I know you, I trust you, I love you. And sometimes that's all we got. That's what faith is. Trusting in the God who's never let us down, whether we understand or not, hoping for the things that we do not see. We need the shield of faith. The next one Paul mentions in verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation. 
I think this is fascinating. One of the commentaries I read said that once the, the Roman soldier got most everything on, it would have been very awkward and difficult for him to, to bend down to get the, the helmet to put on his head. So it was handed to him. This, this word take is not in there just by accident. It's not, there's, there's a, there's a shift in the language that Paul uses to put on the breastplate of righteousness, but then to take the helmet of salvation. And I think Paul connects it to salvation for a couple reasons here. One, salvation is not something we do on our own. It's the gift of God, of what happened on the cross. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It is something that we just with arms open wide, we take, we receive from a generous, gracious God. But the other reason I think he uses the helmet It's because so many times Satan likes to play mind games with us. He likes to mess with our mind. You really think, he might say, I'm sure he's whispered this to you, you really think your baptism years ago when you were a kid, that that counts, that you're still saved? Do you know what you've done since then? You you really think asking for forgiveness about last night, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. You think your salvation is secure in, in that? And he starts to put doubts and questions in our mind. This is not something we've done or earned, deserve to receive it in the first place. Scripture teaches that I, I can't speak for you. I don't, I don't know your heart, but I, I know my heart. I know my motives. And scripture teaches that I can rest assured in the salvation that God gave me, that I can stand before him tall one day because it's not of my own doing because of what he did for me. And so we put on the helmet to guard our mind. Finally, the last one, verse 17, the second part of it says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, some will point out that the sword is the only offensive weapon mentioned. And maybe, maybe that's true. But it dawned on me this week, do you remember when you were in grade school, kindergarten, some of you, that's a really long time ago. Think back to kindergarten when you had activity pages in school. And one of the questions said, which item is different? And there'd be like five circles and a triangle. One of these doesn't fit. As you get a little bit older, it becomes a little bit harder to see which item doesn't fit. In middle school, high school, you have the same thing, but it's a six zebras and you have to figure out which zebra has one less stripe than the rest of them right it becomes harder to find those differences and we have to look a bit closer and and i'm i'm not so sure that this is the offensive weapon that paul meant it to be sometimes things are out of place for a reason and and, and new testament writers are trying to draw our attention to it or maybe it seems out of place because we're looking at it wrong and i i want to to argue this morning that we've been looking at this wrong, that it's not actually meant to be an offensive weapon. I got three reasons for this. One is, I'm not so sure about this one. I don't know how, how well it actually holds up in good hermeneutic principles when we talk about scripture, but I find it fascinating. Uh, Paul had other options. If, if Paul wanted to, to mention an offensive weapon, he had other options. There's a spear, right? Everyone in the Roman world would have known about a spear. You throw the spear. It's an offensive weapon. It has no other options but being an offensive weapon could have been arrows bow and arrow you don't defend yourself with a bow and arrow you could say something about the word of god being like a bow and arrow to keep many arrows on on guard to to know the word He, he could have had other options a sword can be an offensive weapon 
but it can also defend yourself. And I think Paul had more of a defensive option in his mind when he mentioned the sword more than an offensive. My other reasoning for this is actually how Jesus uses the word of God. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was just baptized by John the Baptist, and he's led into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days. 40 days without food, spending time with God the Father in heaven. And at the end of that 40 days, Satan comes to tempt him. And he tempts him with three different temptations. And the heart and the core of each one of these is the same thing. It's to get Jesus to accomplish what he did through the cross without having to go through the cross. It's to get Satan to give up authority, to to just surrender without having him to go through the cross with his death and resurrection. And the third one, Satan says, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll just just surrender now. I'll, I'll just give it to you now. And by this point, Jesus is, getting, Jesus is getting a little frustrated, to say the least. Verse 10 says, Then Jesus said to him, Go away, Satan. For it is written, You are to worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Now Jesus could have said a lot of things here. He could have used the word of God as an offensive weapon to attack Satan. Satan, go away, for you are the father of lies, for you are deceiver, for you prowl around like a roaring lion. For Satan, go away, because you are, in fact, a meanie head. Straight from the word of the Lord. Right? He could have done that, but that's not what he did. He defended himself. Using the word of God, for you are to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He did not use it as a weapon to attack Satan. He used it as a weapon to defend himself. And if that's what Jesus did, that has to be what we do. Because we are not on the same plane that Jesus is. I go back to verse 12 in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Our battle is not against other people. It's against an enemy who we can't see, who doesn't fight fair, who we have no way of knowing what we're attacking, how to attack, who we're even fighting. How, How do we fight? We just have to defend ourselves. Satan uses people. Remember when Jesus told his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem and there he would be beaten and killed. And Peter pulled him aside and said, no, 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 not on my watch. I'm going to defend you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. How much would that have hurt to hear Jesus say that? Man. All Peter was trying to do was to defend him, to do the right thing. Something that if Peter said just a few months later after his ascension into heaven, that would have been, that would have been fine, right? We should defend Jesus. But in that moment, Satan was using Peter. And I hate, I hate to think of the ways that Satan has used me. See, here's the reality, church. Satan is cunning. And he uses people in this world. Whatever the other side is that we think is so wrong or evil, the, whatever we deem the, the heart of the problem against culture today, people, they're not our enemy. 
And if anything, it should bring out of us a deep sense of compassion and love because Satan is using them. But they are not our enemy. This world is not our enemy. Our enemy is Satan. And he prowls around like a roaring lion. And for that reason, we have these things to stay on guard, to protect ourselves, to defend ourselves. Now here's, here's where it gets hard. Because Satan is always looking for an opportunity to attack, we have to always be on guard. We have to constantly be on guard. So yes, it looks a bit awkward to be dressed like this going to work every day, especially if you work in an office building where people wear suits. It looks awkward to go to the grocery store like this. But the second we lower our defenses, the second we set down a sword or we set the shield down or we take off our breastplate of righteousness, the second that we take anything off, that's when Satan will attack. That's when he will find his opening. That's when he will put doubt in our mind. That is when he will put question marks where God puts periods. That, that's, where, that's where we'll compromise. It can lead to so much hurt and pain and destruction in this world. And so we must constantly be on guard. Yes, this looks a bit ridiculous in the same way. It might look ridiculous to have a breastplate of righteousness. People can't see that. But to have the conviction to be so sure that you're going to pursue righteousness, that you have character and integrity, your boss might not like that. That you refuse to change a number here or there. Your friends might not like that if you set up boundaries around relationships. People might look at you a bit strange if you do certain things to make sure that you are guarding your heart. People might think you're a bit strange by the truth that you hold on to so tightly. How much you are in your word because you want to keep it in front of you because it is the way we defend ourselves against Satan. People might look at you a bit strange as we preach and proclaim peace in a world of chaos and destruction. People will be uncomfortable around you. We have to be okay with that. Jesus won the war 2,000 years ago. But the battle for my life and your life, the battle for your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers, that battle for our lives and our soul is still going on. And it is that the cost is far too costly to take off any of this armor or to pause for any moment of time. We have to stay in this fight. We have to fight with everything we got. Our salvation, the salvation of our friends. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I don't think he just meant heaven. I think he meant here and now. And if we were to live life to the fullest, if we want our friends and our neighbors and people we care about, to live life to the fullest here and now and have the promise of heaven in the future. We must keep on this gear and we must, we must hold to this so tightly that people look at us a bit strange and be like, what is going on? And be ready to preach the gospel. 
Here's the last thing that I want to mention. Remember that very first verse that we mentioned, to be strong in the Lord and in his strength and his might. This is not by our own doing. It is his truth. It's his gospel of peace. It's his righteousness, his salvation, his word, his faith that we defend ourselves with. This is not our own. And it's the only way that we can make it by realizing that his strength is what we defend ourselves with. His strength, his ability, that's what he died for, to be in relationship with us so that we could defend ourselves against an enemy that we can't see and frankly is far more powerful than all of us combined. But not more powerful than Jesus. He won the war. We must continue to fight the battle. Father God, I am so grateful for your coming to this world, to giving us the tools that we need to stand our ground, to stand firm, to stand in your strength, your love, your grace, your truth, your righteousness. God, you gave us the ability to to fight, to defend ourselves with you. And so God, we just say thank you. And we pray that we will put on this gear each and every moment of each and every day that we will wake up in the morning and we will center ourselves and we will put this gear on as we walk out the doors. We go to breakfast with our kids, go to work, go to the gym, wherever we go. God, that this will be on the forefront of our minds so that we can guard ourselves against the devil and his schemes. Lord, we love you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, I know this is not easy. It's in fact really hard to live this out on a daily basis. In fact, this helmet is incredibly uncomfortable and digging into my forehead. But if we aren't uncomfortable, if we aren't, if it is not awkward and a little difficult, this faith journey that we're on, then we're probably not doing it to the degree that we need to. And so I encourage you, as we pause, as we reflect, as we thank God for sending his son into this world to give us new life, as we have communion today, I just want to ask that you invite the spirit in to convict your heart, to convict your soul of what area maybe you've not been paying the closest attention to and what area you need to give a little bit more focus. We're going to have communion and a time to reflect and, and think and pray and I just want to encourage you, if you'd like prayer, you'd like someone to pray for you, I'm going to be down here. And we have people from our prayer team at the prayer wall in the back. And we would love a chance to pray with you. Come find us. After a moment of reflection, go ahead and take communion on your own when you're ready. The, the bread representing the body of Christ broken for us and the cup representing his blood shed on the cross. So that we can have life and that we can have his strength to defend ourselves. Let's pray. Father God, you are so, so good. And we are so grateful for the sacrifice that you made on the cross, God. We're so grateful that, that you did not cave under the temptation of Satan to take the easy way out. And God, I pray for me, I pray for the people here, those tuning in online, that we also will have the strength to stand, the strength to put on all this gear, to keep it on all the time, every moment of every day, God, by your strength by what you made available through your death and resurrection. God, help us to stand firm. 
in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.